Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. So we have had various podcast episodes already on the German context and obviously also on the European context quite clearly. And you have seen already when you listen to the various episodes that there are obviously major differences between the healthcare systems. However, most of the times, if a company wants to be successful across the world, let's say, or at least in Europe, you need to have a strategy and some tactics which fit to that strategy for the European market. What does that really mean? I mean, we have different kind of systems. We could, for example, say oh, France and Germany might be maybe a bit more similar because they're focusing a lot on the benefit assessment and then afterwards having a price negotiation. Yes, there might be kind of differences in the details, but overall you could maybe lump them in a way just to get an understanding and put a strategy for those two countries together. And then you have maybe other countries such as, for example, Spain and Italy, where you have not only an NHS system, but you have especially also more originalization, maybe sometimes even going down to the local level dependent which drug you have. So this is even more complex than when you think about a national system. National system, we have had Brexit some time ago, so it's even more complex now because the UK is no more part of the European Union. So meaning that would also start already on a registration side, but maybe taking that aside, we could as well just say we have various cost-effectiveness countries also in Europe, which is quite clearly England and Scotland. That's quite evident. But we have also other countries where cost-effectiveness is a core decision driver in their healthcare reimbursement decision-making. For example, Portugal, in some ways as well, Scandinavian countries, Poland, but also, for example, the Netherlands. So how to bring that all together? Also, which kind of teams and quite evidently also which kind of tactics you should apply there when you think about the strategy and the tactics. So these kind of discussions, I'm today in this episode discussing it with Eastern Senza from the UK. I mean, she's, she's herself naming as a kind of strategy shaper and a capability accelerator. So the right person, as she's especially working on the European level, to discuss this kind of European issues. Not only that she's, let's say, naming herself as a kind of shaper. I mean, she has also a lot of experience. I mean, she worked for Novartis, for Roche, for Allegan, for Alexion, and now she's also working on her own in her um, in her consultancy called Decisive Consulting in the UK. So let's just see how she is maybe approaching those kind of issues when thinking and developing a European pricing and reimbursement strategy. Okay, thank you, Esther to make up as well your time or your schedule in your busy calendar to also discuss now a bit on the European reimbursement and pricing areas, strategies and tactics, which I think is your main focus as well. So just to very briefly start with it, from your perspective, what is the core to have a successful European reimbursement and pricing strategy? 
Thanks, Stefan. And of course, that's the central question. And I think it's one that we all battle with at different times. For me, I think what my learning has shown me is that it's about building from a solid base of both understanding and insight. And I think the other aspect that I've probably uh, grown more adept with over the years is that it's about ensuring consistency where it matters, but localization where it's needed. So Europe, of course, is not a singular entity. In fact, far from it. And there are so many different considerations across the different countries, which makes it a really difficult balance to strike because companies can't run multiple programs um, and the stakeholder needs are not necessarily always the same. But I think with careful planning and dialogue, companies can still make sure that the majority of stakeholder needs are met sufficiently, if not entirely. Um, I think the other aspect I'd highlight is that uh, access isn't a singular discipline and that cross-functional communication within companies is also critical. So pricing and reimbursement strategies are part of a broader business strategy. They're a core driver of overall value and they shouldn't be managed in isolation. So the most successful approaches that I've seen within companies are those that are fully embedded, that are working hand in hand with R&D, with regulatory, with commercial and with operational functions to make sure that everybody has an aligned objective in bringing medicines to patients efficiently and effectively. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think you have also just put in the, the, the roles, the various roles like regulatory, clinic development, etc. Um, and I mean, sometimes you have even the kind of issue, right, um, from even, let's say, the, the continent's perspective, right, especially maybe if a company is more focused on the U.S., maybe it was even growing up, let's call it, in the U.S., yeah. and then trying to, let's say, make the move into Europe, right, which is maybe even more complex than just only focus on Europe, which is already complex enough. Absolutely. And I think for companies in that kind of position, it's a huge lift to get a product through to a point where you can get regulatory approval uh, in any country around the globe. And then when you layer on the complexity of pricing and reimbursement in Europe, it can look incredibly daunting. And I think that's where making sure that these considerations come early enough in development, that they're not um, a mountain at late stage is, is a key objective. And that if you have to catch up, doing so in a way that allows you to embrace insight and flexibility around the way that you might need to talk about your data. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, you said already it's, it, it has a lot of different factors and drivers in order to be hopefully then also successful. But obviously, a core question is also the starting point. So mm. out of your experience, what would you recommend as a starting point when putting a European strategy in place? It's again, a great question. I think the best starting point for any strategy, pricing reimbursement, commercial, medical, has to be insight. So having a deep understanding in the case of pricing and reimbursement of the therapeutic area, the alternatives, the payment flows, the unmet needs, all of those elements can help to craft a value proposition that's actually relevant to those that will be making critical decisions around access. But to get to that, you need to start that listening and that dialogue early enough, whether through formal or informal routes, ideally through both, to make sure that development decisions can reflect those insights where possible. And that where it can't, you design other approaches to address areas of uncertainty that can't be tackled in the pivotal programs. 
I think starting the journey with a realistic set of expectations around the value of an innovation is also key. So understanding the, the increment that a new treatment represents over standard of care and understanding how decisions will be made and quantified on that basis. And then educating the wider organisation around those principles can help you actually to get the right level of alignment behind common goals. I mean, I do have a personal view that actually it's less about a European strategy per se and more about a global strategy that works for Europe. I think we're operating in increasingly interconnected worlds and it's important that a strategy can flow seamlessly around the world where that's possible. But to get there, companies are having to rethink their internal decision-making processes and build a much more inclusive perspective earlier in development. But I would say I've seen huge progress in this domain compared to when I started working in Access 15 or 16 years ago. I don't know about you, Stefan. Yeah, I can fully agree with you. I think um, 15, 18 years ago or so, I think uh, the whole market access health economics area was probably still, let's say, seen as nice to have, I would rather say, right? I think, um, I mean, I was happy that I think at least in the position I was, I, I had very good, let's say, also head of departments where they were also not only pushing our roles, but also really trying to convince upper management that this position is really important. And ultimately it is, right? So I would yeah. agree. I think in the last years, I think you have really seen a lot of changes, obviously, and especially in the larger groups, but also the small kind of companies, the biotechs, the kind of startups recognize it. Sometimes with them, it's probably more the resource issue, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a difficult one to tackle because it's not only about the number and quantity of resources that you need, but the timing um, exactly. and making that work in the context of a global go-to-market strategy can be really difficult to balance. Yeah, I know, fully agree. And I mean, you have you have tackled now, I think, from my perspective, probably two different things here, right? One mm. is the importance of the internal, let's call it preparedness, maybe. Yes. And the other one is, I think you mentioned also before, the so-called insights, the knowledge, and also, let's say, the kind of experience which need to come through the context. I would also maybe, I don't know, maybe to add or maybe suggest, mm. I don't know what you think about, um, that it's not only the payers, right? When we think about, let's say, Absolutely. I think even more important, I would say, especially in the early days, but also later on, are the physicians, right? The prescribers, which, yeah, which are also a core driver also for reimbursement decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the most useful meetings that I've participated in in my years in industry are those where you bring together clinicians and payers around one table, because that way you get that joint perspective. You get the grounding in the reality of the patient journey and the patient experience, but in the context of the broader decision making of a health economy. Um, and I think there's great power in putting those two perspectives together to co-create a solution. Yes, I can only agree with that. I think bringing both perspective in there, I think is absolutely valuable. I think for the for the understanding, but also for the strategy and the tactics later on, absolutely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, you said already, um, Europe is, let's say, complex. Uh, you could even say Europe is different, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, just trying to put my, let's say, my experience. I mean, I was also working on global slash European roles in the past, um, it's probably something similar what you currently do. Um, and I, I know that it's really difficult also to make sure that all the let's say, specifics of the different systems, healthcare system, reimbursement systems are really being taken into account in European strategy. What is your kind of recommendation? How to best really follow that 
following just, let's say, two or three countries as a kind of core group or really having the, let's say, various countries, but trying to position them, let's say, in buckets maybe where countries are maybe similar? What is your kind of idea how to really approach Europe? Yeah, again, a really great question. I think that there are a couple of answers I'd give to that. And one, it perhaps comes before the conversation on so-called archetypes or groupings. I think you're quite right. Every country has its specificities, both in Europe and beyond. So recognising that these considerations are equally applicable to all ex-US markets. And I think reconciling local needs in a global programme is challenging. Um, but it's also really important. There's a great saying, um, which is entirely not about access, but uh, it's one that I've used very much as a mantra through my career in business, which is that on matters of substance, you stand like a rock. On matters of style, you go with the flow. Um, And I think within companies, working out what the matters of substance really are for a programme and standing firmly with them, while also finding the areas of comfortable fluidity to meet local needs, that's part of the art of successful pricing and reimbursement strategy, I think. Um, And developing a reference knowledge of local systems and listening, really listening to the perspective of decision makers, as we said before, not only payers, but all those who touch the decision around medication and treatment paths for a patient is really central to that. So the more dialogue early, the better for everyone. I think uh, in terms of your question on grouping of countries, I think that can be very helpful in terms of uh, establishing archetypes. So those countries where decisions are more guided, for example, by cost effectiveness analysis versus those where it's more a conversation about relative clinical effectiveness. But within that, you've got a number of different matrices that you can put in place, but also look at generalizability of practice. So looking at where standard of care is similar versus where it's different, at where the pathway and experience for patients in their overall management is similar and different. So I would suggest that in this space, there's not one way to cut it and actually looking programme by programme at what makes sense in terms of identifying those matters of substance and grouping countries against them probably leads to greater success. Yeah, I think that makes also a lot of sense. I think it also depends obviously heavily on the disease area or the indication you're working in, right? I mean, yes. sometimes it's just, let's say, driven also by the by the unmet need and the, let's say, number of uh, cases in the various countries, which might also, let's say, change the, 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 the country groups, but also maybe I think the importance of the various countries. I think, uh, yeah, I fully agree with that. Yeah, um, that's why there's not a one size fits all. Exactly. Why you can't pick up a textbook which tells yeah. you the right way to do this yeah, within our industry because it is so bespoke and so specific to the individual yeah. program under discussion. Yeah. And ultimately, I think what we have not even spoken about, right? I think mm. sometimes it's also the kind of, let's say, price strategy what you have in mind, which might also drive your kind of, uh, let's say, um, yeah, probably choice of countries. Or maybe not, yeah. it's not only the price strategy, but also linked to the commercial kind of idea, right? Is it the if kind of fast growing kind of idea? Is it getting fast kind of, mar- um, let's say, market shares in all of the countries? Or maybe just focusing really on some few countries, maybe trying to optimize the price across the countries. I think that has all different kind of aspects in there as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have not spoken a bit on that part, which is probably more on the external, uh, but you have also mentioned beforehand, let's say the internal bit, the preparedness within the companies. And you have, let's say, said already uh, partly, I think, um, which positions and roles should probably be in a good market access, let's say, preparedness team, let's call it, right? Mm. Um, 
How do you think would a good team generally look like, especially maybe if they would start a European endeavor? Maybe you could also try to differentiate a bit, maybe between the kind of smaller companies and maybe the ones which are probably more kind of mid-sized. I think the large ones, I think, were probably in agreement that we say they are probably already quite prepared. It's probably more kind of internal, uh, let's say, yeah. um, uh, pre preparation kind of things, right? No, absolutely. And, you know, it's a question I find myself discussing and debating with companies of all different shapes and sizes. I think for the reasons that you outline, whether it's a company looking to enter Europe for the first time, but also more established companies who are responding to real changes in their stakeholder matrix um, and changing needs maybe for their portfolios as well. I think if I look back, I've been in industry um, about 24 years this year. And if I look back to my first days uh, as a sales rep way back when, market access at that time was a highly technical discipline. It was populated by extraordinarily clever, highly technical people who had a very specific remit. And I think over the last couple of decades, we've seen that remit really shift and expand. And now access leaders are a key part, actually, of driving strategy for organizations, not just delivering on technical expertise. And I think that's changed the demands of teams, but it's also changed the demands on individuals, because individuals who lead access functions now are expected to be able to provide much more strategic leadership for organizations overall. Um, and I think that's created some quite unique pressures within companies and within talent flows as we look at how we develop and nurture the next generation of leaders. There are so many roles that access needs to transect or to interact with. You've got your traditional technical expertise dimensions. You've got your traditional roles around value, pricing, HDA, health economics. You've also got new technical expertise around things like real world evidence generation, advanced analytics, AI, and where the future is taking us. And having people who can competently and confidently navigate that landscape enough and be able to draw on the detailed expertise of colleagues and groups, I think is fundamental to success. So that there are so many different parts to being great at access, gathering insight, integrating that insight, being able to guide strategic decision-making for companies are all critical facets of the new role of access leaders. And of course, access, as we mentioned before, is not a discipline that should or could ever operate alone. It should be a key partner function for all other disciplines within the company who all have a shared role ultimately in getting medicines to patients. So whether that's in R&D, whether it's in medical affairs, whether it's in commercial, regulatory, supply chain, all of these different areas need to have a common touch point within access. And the access leader for now and for the future has to be the integrator of those perspectives who can bring all of that great investment in science and expertise to life when we think about the, the conversations that matter in actually bringing medicines to patients in countries. Yeah, no, I, I can only agree with what you have just said. I think uh, it's ultimately not only important, but I think it also shows the kind of, uh, let's say, various aspects such a kind of role would really need to bring into the whole kind of game in order to really successfully launch a product in various countries in Europe and probably also across the world. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I see real difference. And I think you mentioned this already between those larger organizations who have more mature structures and who can afford the luxury of having different specialists at different layers and different levels where you have roles that are partly around integration and championship and roles that are about technical delivery. But increasingly for smaller companies, leaders need to be able to span both. And I think one of the most difficult roles actually in our industry is the role of the local access leader, whether that's at country or cluster level, because now in the modern environment, they have to wear so many different hats. You've got to be technically fluent. You've got to have excellent stakeholder engagement skills. You've got to probably have a commercial leadership responsibility, in some cases also people management responsibility, and you've got to be a really skilled negotiator. So those are all different and equally important skill sets. And I think everything in in an efficient European structure, for example, is, in my view, ultimately about strengthening, equipping and empowering those leaders to be able to champion success for the patients that they serve in country. Yeah, fully agree. Now, changing a bit maybe the gears as well, I think still probably in, 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 let's say, um, the similar kind of direction, but probably more looking to the future. I mean, in the last couple of days, but also in the last couple of years, probably, I think there was a big debate about joint HTA on European level. And I think now just these days, we've just seen that the European Commission and the various other stakeholders have agreed basically now probably to really move, let's say, forward. How do you think this joint European HTA approach would basically have an impact on an overarching European strategy for pricing and reimbursement? Yeah, I mean, this week, of course, has shown us some some big progress, but it's been a long time coming. And uh, I was thinking about this only recently that I remember first going to a UNETA conference in about 2009. I think UNETA was formed in the early 2000s, and this wasn't long after its formation. And the principles of Europe-wide HTA were being discussed and hotly debated even back then. So here we are some 12 years later, and yet I think we're still some distance from universal implementation. Although this week's decisive breakthrough, as it were, appears to be very positive in terms of at least reaching a proposal for legislation. But the time that's elapsed between those meetings that I remember and where we are today, I think is a really strong message about how difficult this is and about the challenge of assessing health technologies across countries. I mean, the principle, I think everybody would say, is one that should be welcomed because the idea that you group not only resources, but also expertise effectively across countries can only be for the good of patients. But the efficiencies for companies, of course, are also important in seeking joint early diet dialogue in understanding the specification of evidence from one aligned perspective. But I think where we are with the the dilution that's occurred between the original proposal and the legislation that's been proposed this week isn't definitively one thing or another. Um, And actually, the compromise position could lead to an even more complex environment um, as member states have the flexibility to decide case by case how and if they commit themselves to actually use jointly conducted assessments. I think in reflection, it's, it's a really finely balanced issue. How do you collaborate around evidence assessments whilst not infringing on the local rights of countries to determine value from the perspective of their own health economies? So I think there is a clear shared goal, but uh, actually the the goal in terms of seeking uh, equitable access for patients across Europe in a perhaps faster and more efficient manner, I'm not yet clear that that's going to be the resultant effect. I think it remains to be seen. 
Um, and it won't be fully implemented, according to this week's proposal, for another 11 years, which is more than 20 years on from those original conversations around the formation of UNETA. So again, I think a good illustration of the complexities of trying to combine perspectives across countries that have fundamental and important national differences, but uh, something that if it can be worked through, would I think be welcome to everybody involved in the landscape of HTA. Yeah, I think uh, very well said. I think <laughs> from a timing perspective, from an implementation perspective, obviously a lot driven by the political perspective, but I think ultimately we just need to see how that whole kind of approach would really be implemented also and especially on the national and regional um, level. And I mean, obviously, and quite clearly, um, in whatever way it will be to impacting the countries, it will also impact the European pricing and reimbursement strategy. Very yeah, good. absolutely. Great. No, Thank great discussion. Much, yes, <laughs> thanks very much, Stefan. Good insights and then talk to you soon, Esther. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, look forward to it. Bye-bye. So interesting perspectives when discussing that with Esther. I mean, she's especially focusing on the team building. I think the importance of who is being involved there, that's quite clearly not only the market access who's a driving force, but also the medical and the marketing, which needs to be in line with the various parts in here. I think in terms of pricing strategy, I think we have had that as well already at a, at a different kind of discussion in an episode. This is even more difficult, quite clearly, as sometimes you need even to think about which countries to come maybe first, the first launch countries, second tier, third tiers. I think that's also something where, again, the team kicks in, where you need to think about how to best approach it. You need to have a quite decent understanding, maybe not a detail, but a good top-level understanding of the various healthcare systems and get and listen, especially also um, um, on your and with your different kind of experts from the countries to also see what might maybe make most sense out of it. Europe is even more complex. I mean, we have also discussed very briefly about the potential joint HDA, which might and will most likely come as well in the next five, six years, at least the start of it. So this might potentially even ease a bit the way, at least from a benefit perspective. But we need still to see how this would, let's say, go into the real life after the joint benefit assessment, maybe, and most likely there will be further submissions, maybe in a more light way, as we still see it already sometimes in some countries, maybe not the big EU4 plus UK countries, but maybe in some of the others where the benefit assessment may, might potentially need to be maybe even further, let's say, um, focused on the on the different country-specific impacts. And finally, obviously, the price negotiation will still be on the national level. So again, feeling that back that you still need then a European kind of strategy. That was an episode of MAP the Market Access Podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.